0: I mean, I wanna see the chopping the onions, the fish getting scaled or going into the fryer. I wanna see things sizzle in in oil. I loved the timpano scene in uh, Big Night as they're building the different layers of those things. I mean, but the final scene in that film was also so simple, but also wonderful. It was the one take of him just making, I think scrambled eggs and fresh bread in, you know, cooked in olive oil.
1: Hello everybody and welcome to our preview of our upcoming series Foodie Films we are joined by monica eng of the chewing podcast also my former wbez colleague she knows a lot about the movies we're planning to talk about and uh, we have a really fun conversation and we're also going to talk with her about some amazing chicago sandwiches that she has literally written the book on but but before we get into that i want to tell you about a podcast you might enjoy We've mentioned big campaign stories on our show before. They're an actual play RPG podcast, and we got to be friends with them because of an appreciation for Snow Crash, the Neal Stephenson novel. That was the first thing we ever talked about on Upper Middle Brow. And the RPG world in which big campaign is set is based on Snow Crash. Um, And I have to say, it can be really fun to hear a group of improvisers generating a story out of not exactly nothing, um, but just some notes in preparation from Jeff, uh, the Game Master. And if you've been listening to our episodes, you know we're interested in the dramatic choices of whether or not to save a cat. And in fact, in an early episode of Big Campaign Stories, one of the characters, Oswald, had to make just such a choice.
2: You hear the meow of a cat comes chasing after you as oh, you run through the door.
1: God damn it. Yes, I rescue the cat. <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah, the small golden cat you see on its necklace that says Cobbler.
1: Cobbler, come here, and I'll scoop him under an arm. <laughs> All right. We're going we're gonna to do this chase with a cat under my arm. We'll see how that goes. Hopefully he's not afraid of heights. And that is how Cobbler joined the gang. Anyway, here's how Jeff describes the show. Hey, everybody. My name is Jeff and I run the Big Campaign Stories podcast.
2: Our story focuses on four people working at a repo company, trying to keep afloat among corporate dystopia and crushing debt. The world is one that we have been playing in and working on for a long time. The current homebrew setting is played with Pathfinder first edition rules, but with more of a modern feel to it. Think something like Blade Runner or Snow Crash, but with magic. Uh, we try to release every Thursday, and when we cannot, we come up with small side episodes focusing on each character, to help expand the world and lore. So if you like greasy breakfasts, people trying to pay bills, and the occasional Lovecraftian monster, give us a listen.
1: All right, thanks. All right, let's get into our conversation with Monica Eng of Chewing in Axios, Chicago about foodie films. Hey, Monica.
0: Hi, Monica.
2: Ooh, Um, I like Monica's style. My oldie sweatshirt.
1: It's good.
0: (laughs) The greatest, it's very soft, too.
1: Monica also has lots of um, every level of um, croc, sort of like dress crocs, casual crocs, dance
0: goes. The dance goes. Sorry. Look like crocs because they're the um, very limited edition plastic. Do we have any up here? Plastic dance goes that they stopped making, and so I bought up every single one I could find before you, wh- they went extinct.
1: Where were they made, or what? Where is dance go? Uh, Denmark. Oh, so they're probably more expensive than Crocs, too.
0: Oh, yeah. Danskos are very expensive clogs, though these were only like 70 bucks. And then I even found them like in the resale market for less. Um, But they're just great. Spring, summer, winter, fall. I wish I could say that I'm selling them, but um, I don't know. I have yeah. ten pairs at least. It's
1: too bad. It's too bad chewing can't get a Dansko sponsorship. If since no, I've been
0: trying to get an Aldi sponsor.
1: Oh, that you could actually get. I could see that happening.
0: But they don't like that I also do Aldi stories when they're doing something wrong.
1: I got excited because Louisa responded positively to the invitation. I was like, oh, we're gonna get her. Um, but then she's gonna be at the casino. And I just have to ask, like, do we need to do an intervention? Like, is she missing a lot of tapings because of her all the time that she's spending at the casino now?
0: Um, no, she's reviewing the food there. I did my review. Oh
1: my god, that's awesome. Do, do you have any questions before we, we f- formally, like, launch into our actual program?
0: Um, about how long do you think we'll tape?
1: Probably, like, 45 minutes from now.
0: Okay. Will, that,
1: will that work? Can you manage that?
0: Yeah. You Tom is to just waiting hurry.
1: downstairs for dinner, but uh, um, we'll be fine. Uh, I, I, told him, I
0: told him to go ahead. Just tell me when to press.
1: Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm not worried about it. I'm a really good audio okay. producer. I can I can sync it.
0: Yeah, I've heard uh,
1: <laughs> it. Monica, have you ever worked... Uh, I know that you were, you've been a reporter since you were like 12. Um, have you ever worked a back-of-house job? I, Louisa has, right?
0: Never, never, never. Everybody in my family, including both of my children, have worked in restaurants. I am the only one who's never worked in a restaurant. I just criticize them. It seems like the most hypocritical thing in the world, yeah.
1: You got started pretty early reporting, too. So it wasn't like you had to pay, yeah. your, you know, you had you had another way to pay your way through college and all of that stuff. Yeah,
0: I mean, I helped, like, in my aunt's restaurant. Like, I would sit there with the waiters and I would uh, take these strings off of pea pods but that's about
1: it. I was a line cook at a McDonald's. I don't know if that counts. That counts. But, um and, industry. And it was before they totally had the clamshell totally. grilled. So we actually had the, the 1950s style, like giant flat mm. grills. And I, I mean, I definitely got some moves. Like I could cook uh 24 cheeseburgers at the same time while like wow. you know, doing a special order over here and like making a filet of fish and stuff like that.
0: So, well driving a school bus. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I can drive a school bus. Uh, I know, but that you used was not, to tell us. I never combined those two, although that would be a great, <laughs> It'd be a great gig, like a driving a bus hamburger stand. Yeah. Um, I'm going to dive in. And Let's the first in. thing I would like to just do is list the movies we're going to watch this fall. And I'd, be, I'd like a show of hands from both of you uh, if, if you've seen it or not. I'm just curious. I haven't seen all of them, too. So the first one is Babette's Feast. Monica has seen it. The second one is the cook, the thief, the wife, and her lover. His, his wife, wife and, and her, her lover. lover. Um, I have seen that also. Um, Monica has seen it. Tampopo. Monica has Monica has seen them Monica all. Monica is three I for have three. A, three for three. Eat, drink, man, woman. Monica has seen it mostly. Martha. Monica has seen that one. I have not seen that one. Five Big for night. five. Big night. We've all seen that. And sideways, Chris. I know you've seen Sideways because I feel like we watched it <laughs> together many years ago. Okay,
0: I feel so, I feel wow. like uh, Sarah, Sandra O. Oh, a lot of the time, when I think of men who have wronged me. There's like she kicks the shit out of that guy. Oh yeah!
1: In, in oh yeah! Way. Oh yeah! Yeah yeah yeah. Very no, he, behaves, scene, yeah. he behaves very
0: very terribly. Yeah, yeah she's
1: wonderful.
2: See, next in that question: movie,
0: too. Do you
1: also identify with Sandra
2: O oh during her role as Killing Eve?
0: You know, I haven't seen that show. Does she kill people?
1: Oh, be... Eventually. <laughs> okay. She she's a <laughs> cop, and oh. the and uh, the, there's an assassin who's coming after her. Um, that I saw the first episode. It was very it's good. It's very good. Yeah. It's a great it show. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we're excited. I mean, so I was going to ask Monica if you actually like movies about food, and I'm going to guess the answer is I knew you liked movies because I remember during the pandemic you said your routine was to cook a meal and then, like, watch a movie every night. Um, so apparently you, you I do, do I do. Like, um,
0: mm-hmm. I do. You know, I was a film critic for a while uh, mm, at the I Daily South. I used to have to review every single film that came out um, for a very short time when I returned from Uzbekistan. So I was in the screening room in Chicago almost five days a week. And I remember writing to my old pal, Roger Ebert. I said, Roger, how the hell do you write five film reviews a week? I don't care about these films. I don't want to write 500 words about this film because I just want to say, meh. And he said, well, Monica, that's what they're paying you to do think of your mom think of like what you'd say to her and then just start your lead that way because i was like i can't think of another lead to save my life um that thankfully was only about eight months but then i have a- done film reviews for the sun times tribune and south town so i and i was a film major for a short time and i did a film review show at the university of illinois so
1: uh, that's good shit. advice from Roger Ebert. I also part of part of how he was able to do so many reviews. He was not the best note taker. Like I love his Sometimes, yeah, it's
0: like wait a minute, um, that didn't but he's really con-
1: he'll he's constantly like he'll get the quotes wrong. You know, yeah. he'll, he'll he'll say like, and then the character says this, and it's actually not. It's sort of like what they said. He was going so fast they that
0: they sometimes think. he was flying he, by the seat of his pants. But he, I, mean, he, I mean, he got the he essence did, right. What
1: like three a week or something? Oh, like that? five um, a week.
0: I remember when I was uh, one of the film editors at the Tribune, I'd say to Michael Wilmington, who was the Tribune film critic, I'd say, Michael, come on, you can do four reviews a week. And he's like, stop comparing me to (laughs) RoboCritic.
1: And he was talking about Roger. I'm like,
0: okay, fine, I'll I'll sign out these other ones for freelancers.
1: You know, he's got that great website, um, or he created before he died, unfortunately, that great website. Um, and I will sometimes watch a movie and then look up on the website to see his review and they've all been archived there which is wonderfully and I Almost always, hundred percent agree with him. Like, if I don't like it, he often doesn't like it. Yeah. If I do like it, I, I recently looked up Karate Kid because I watched the first that one yeah. for the for the yeah for the first time yeah. in a long time. I was like, this is pretty good. I wonder what Roger Ebert thought of it, and because you know he was middle aged then, and it was kind of a kids' movie, he liked it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He gave it a good review. There was one I think we disagreed about Falling Down. Uh, oh, and Straw Dogs. You we, liked we it or you didn't about. like
0: it? falling down
1: i did not like falling down as much as he did uh i found, I found it, it a little angry angry and racist yeah um yeah and and i think i don't think he quite picked up on that um as much as uh you know it, it, the, the there's scenes of uh, michael douglas yelling at the korean yeah clerks to to speak english and stuff like that and i think that's supposed to be funny and um
0: yeah, that or, kind of you, know, you know, capturing the zeitgeist of, of white rage, but it, it, it felt racist to me. Yeah,
1: yeah, and I, I think it was capturing the zeitgeist of white rage, but I also think maybe you were supposed to sort of disapprove, but maybe the audience was also sort of like, well, I disapprove, but I felt that way too, yeah, which, yeah. <laughs> you know, like you're sort of disapprove, like mm. you're not supposed to say it out loud yeah. kind of thing as opposed to this is just racist yeah. and wrong. Um, Well, But what do you, um, so in your mind then, you've watched a lot of movies, you like food, what makes a good, and actually kind of want all of us to talk about this, but what makes a good uh, food movie?
0: For me, just like tons of freaking detail. I mean, I want to see the chopping the onions, the fish getting scaled or going into the fryer. Um, But I mean, I don't... I admit that I have certain uh, tastes that not everyone shares, but I really want to see the cooking um, because that is super cool to me.
1: What about you, Chris? Huh,
2: let's see. I wasn't. uh, What makes a good movie about film? I mean, having been a cook, I think that for me, I really want to see something that's true to that experience of of working in a professional kitchen. Um, It's one of the reasons why I really enjoyed the first season of The Bear. Um, And there is an episode, the second to last
1: episode, I was like, I can't watch this.
2: <laughs> so I was like, I can't relive. Oh, the, this the meltdown! Moment. The
1: meltdown episode, but, the the getting slammed. Yeah, then no, it's yeah, traumatic. I, it's painful to yeah. watch.
2: Um, and the moment when he ate the donut off of the ground, I was like, I think I've done that. <laughs> <laughs> and like, and uh, yeah, I really, I, I there's so much about like food movies that kind of gets turned, like gets kind of romanticized and the and i i prefer a movie about food that really like gets to the heart of what it is to be a cook and like the kind of sensuality of it um there's this wild tilda swinton movie called i am love that came out in 2010 and there is a scene with a shrimp that is ostensibly about food but is way more about sex and i was like this is great this wow. is they're really like riding this metaphor into a place that feels carnal, um, and it's it just yeah. I think I like food movies where they they get really into the details and they let it kind of speak to the like greater meaning about food in our own lives. Like it's something that we need to exist and it's really important, and we do it at least three times a day a lot. Um but uh yeah, that's kinda what makes a good food T V show or, or movie for me. Uh Monica, have you seen have you seen The Bear? Have you watched that?
0: I have and I've interviewed uh, Jeremy Ellen White three times now. Um mm-hmm. and
1: I don't I don't, told I don't him, think you're allowed to live in Chicago and not watch the Bear especially I was if you work yeah, in well. Yeah. Well,
0: I mean actually I didn't finish the second season because I started to get so traumatized by the Seven Fishes dinner. Um one it was it, yet, it was filmed in my friend's house. That. I didn't realize that. Um they they made his kitchen look like an eighties kitchen. But I also had a um a Sicilian mother in law who would make the Seven Fishes dinner and get progressively drunker as she did it and start screaming at everyone in the house, including the traumatized new daughter in law. And it was too much for me. Um I also have real problems and I told Jeremy Allen White this. I said, look, what Italian beef restaurant in Chicago is not open for lunch? What Italian beef restaurant in Chicago has a pastry chef and bakes its own bread? Um, And which one has family meal? I can't imagine (laughs) why these these details are brought in. And he's like, fair. (laughs) That's what the kids say these days. Fair. Um, Fair. Heard. uh, Yeah. (laughs) And, And so he didn't try to defend it. But all those things. Well, just, it's not like
1: he, he wasn't a writer, was he? No, I mean, it's not, but come
0: on, he could have said to yeah. Chris Store, wait a minute, why aren't we open for lunch? Could we at least have a line saying, and because of uh, our license, we're not allowed to be open for lunch. <laughs>
1: you know, how many of those things that you just mentioned were things that his his character did in his sort of desire to make it a more upscale? Well, he walked in like, and had,
0: it was already, these were already the rules. They already they had the pastry a, chef yeah, and the they guy were baking already closed bread, for lunch.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. that's right. They had the guy. But that said, I
0: mean, I think the cinematography is beautiful. The acting is great. I could use a little less shouting. Um, I don't really like to hear people bicker all day long. Child of divorce here. Um, But maybe that's more than you need to know. Uh, But I I like a lot of things about it. You know, Rick Bayless was saying it's going to scare anybody away from going into the field. Other people say Hmm. it's done great things for restaurants.
1: Did you yeah. interview him about that or did someone else? I, no, I saw No, Bayless him did it quoted. at a
0: forum, I think, a Wall Street Journal forum.
1: Okay. Well, I mean, you know, and maybe I think you and Louisa talked about this, we but did. like if maybe people should be scared about going into those jobs. I mean, that kind of verbal abuse does happen in restaurants, at least. I mean, not at the McDonald's I worked at, fortunately. But everything I have heard suggests that kind of thing happens and that Mr. Bayless is not. Um, you know, immune from having those sorts of things happen in his kitchen and kind of like, you know, maybe they ought to get their act together if they're scared. Yeah, maybe they should just cut oh. it
0: out. Um, right. But, you know, Like, I,
1: maybe actually treat people humanely in the kitchen and you wouldn't have to worry about it.
0: Yeah. I mean, my daughter works at Ever, which is the restaurant where they shot a lot of the second season. And hmm. at that restaurant, actually, the kitchen is silent. Um, nobody's really allowed to speak. So... Um, it's not verbal abuse. It's you better know what you're doing or, you know, speak very silently to the guy next to you or not silently to speak quietly and say, what the hell am I doing?
2: A friend of mine worked at a place like that yeah. in, in L.A., like worked yeah. at a totally silent. And he, and he and the food they turned out was amazing. He said eventually it wasn't really to his taste, not the food, but the experience, like just it, it, it eventually was too tense. Like, Mm -hmm. he he never felt like you could actually relax while working. And it was just really hard. And and, and also, like, he really didn't want to be in that kind of environment. Like, it was a little pretentious. I mean, it's a Michelin-starred place, but still, like i just i can't imagine how hard that would be
1: to be quiet for your entire shift yeah Seems like it's still it's still in charybdis right you can be verbally abusive or you can be silent there's probably a nice <laughs> you know a nice uh congenial conversational happy respectful, medium full yeah. happy medium in the back um so Here's a fun I like what you
2: did right. with that metaphor.
1: It's like instead of a rock and a hard place, you're like, it's between a rock and a devastating whirlpool. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, i'm I'm going, again referencing uh, the canonical police song that references uh, Scylla. Oh fitness. I see. Uh, here's a fun trick. So Monica, um where where would you go to get a, a beef in chicago your, what's your johnny's johnny's
0: italian? has to be the place um it's uh, in elmwood park and there's always a long line and you have to make sure you have your order when you get up there because they're like what do you want all right i want a beef with a sausage dipped um sweet and hot okay and then they also have um italian ice there otherwise al's is terrific uh, and they've got is several Is that the one in
1: Little Italy? Or yeah, is on that, Taylor.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And Mr. Yeah, Beef, which is what uh, the bear was was modeled after, is is fine too. Um, they've got very long lines now. And there's one that's
1: like on Western and Roosevelt, sort of um, that I've heard is okay. I haven't been Ooh, to that one. Oh, I
0: haven't been to that too. one.
1: And I maybe I, is it
0: Jimmy's? No, no Western and Roosevelt. I, don't I can't remember. remember.
1: Yeah. Um, One thing I think that's really funny about Chicago is that a number of people, when talk when you ask them this question, they'll have like their answer, and then they will often say, "In an emergency," and this is the exact phrase they use. In an emergency, you can go to Portillo's. Oh right, that's it. And I just, I love the the Italian beef emergency. You'd be having an Italian beef (laughs) emergency, such that my wife just went into labor, and we got to go to the hospital right now, and Frank's isn't on the way, but there is a Portillo's, (laughs) so uh, we can stop there. Uh, before we, you know, take her. If in. there's
0: a fire, I will go to Portillo's. Yeah, or yeah, a tornado. I'm gonna
1: play the straw
2: person here. Um, I've never lived in Chicago. Um, I kind of have an idea of what it is you're describing, but Monica, could you walk me through what a beef is?
0: Sure. It is a shaved. Well, different different types of beef, but hopefully a little bit of fatty cut, shaved, boiled beef soaking in its own fatty gravy and then you take a an Italian roll uh, a bit like French bread and you pile that hot beef and gravy in there then you top it with um, sauteed sweet green peppers and um, something we call jardinera here which is a brined serranos and carrots and um, celery That is then put in olive oil. Well, not always olive oil. Now it's soybean oil. But it's sort of a salty, briny, pickled uh, pepper in oil. And that goes on there. A new thing in the last decade, so I guess I shouldn't say a new thing, is a lot of people are putting cheese on it. I had never heard of that. But now, you know, a lot of orders are coming in with cheese. (laughs) Um, And so, when you you know, it's a French dip. That's what a lot of people would call it. So it's like okay, a French dip for with s- spicier, Yeah.
1: spicier. Um, they're okay. I bit. I feel like you turned me on to the gym shoe, which is like it's like if you like an Italian beef, then just like multiply it times seven, right? and you get the gym the, shoe, like the uh, gym shoe.
0: Yeah, uh, well, what is that?
1: G Y M shoe sometimes, or J I many different right. ways.
0: Sometimes J I M, sometimes G Y M, and that's either yeah. Italian beef or roast beef and corned beef, and gyros, all griddled with onions and chopped up in the newest with, in the and version. And then you
1: often with tzatziki yeah, sauce, or, or what guy, they call gyro sauce <laughs> here in Chicago. Um, and then sometimes a
0: tomato. <laughs> and if you're very, very lucky...
2: Sometimes a tomato. Yeah,
0: you can get a super <laughs> yeah. crispy gymshu, which is all okay. that stuff rolled in a giant burrito tortilla rolled up, sealed up, gently lowered into your fryer, comes out like the biggest, most flavorful egg roll of your life that can feed a family of 7.
1: <laughs> Chicago just has the I mean like I have a lot of complaints with Chicago. It's got the best fast food. We you know like Chicago has the best fast food hands down, nice. you know. Wow. And 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 the chains don't dominate here. The fast food is so good that hardly any I mean like yeah, I'm sure everybody There's, goes yeah. to McDonald's every now and again. Popeyes, you know, when they had their sandwich, does all right. But like, it, unlike most of America, people get their fast food from family-owned restaurants in Chicago. And how would really you wonderful. know?
0: What? How would you know which of those thirty foods <laughs> were invented in <laughs> Chicago in these independent? Uh, in these independent, you, you're
1: holding up something rectangle. What is that? It's, yeah, it's it's very blurry. You'll have to
2: narrate it for us.
0: It's called. Made in Chicago. Made in Chicago. 30 story behind. I don't want to like yeah. plump for my book. But yeah, this is where we tell the story of every um, uh, food that was invented, mostly fast food in Chicago.
1: You have a co-author too? Is yes, that right? Dave
0: Hammond. And we're still Dave. touring with it, but it only came out in February. So we're, we're doing an event at the Chicago Historical Society on the 30th, 21st, or something like that.
1: Of what uh, of this month of yeah. this month or next this month okay so this, that, that might week, be yeah. um, that might be before I think this is going to come out the first week but we'll definitely yeah. we'll definitely put a link to well, your book I got I, I am
0: more you know so. we're talking to Mensa the week after anyway but yeah speaking so,
1: of sandwiches you also have a Chicago hand painted hibarito sign right of me you. that's right too yeah. bag have you ever had a hibarito? I have not. It's, I'm learning a, a lot. I would say like these are did. like the, my two favorite sandwiches. We've talked about the gym mm-hmm. shoe and both of which, Monica. Um, yeah, do you want to explain the jiburito? I, I think it's better than a beef, personally. Sure.
0: It's a steak sandwich, um, but instead of instead of using um, bread, you take uh, green plantains, slice them, smash them. Sorry, slice them, them. Blanch them. Blanch them. Well,
1: I think they blanch them so that they'll so they'll smash in the smasher.
0: Well, okay, peel them, slice them, put them in cold ice water, fry them, smash them, fry them again, and then you use that as your bread. You know, those are called alone. They're called tostones. So I'm Puerto Rican, and when my grandma would cook for us growing up, we would all fight over who got the tostones, and that's basically a green plantain deep fried and then salted. And that, so basically use tostones you- as your bread. Um, and it was sort of, an, it was invented in Chicago in the early 90s, because this guy who was down on his luck was reading a newspaper called El Bocero from um, Puerto Rico, and he saw a recipe for something called a sandwich de platano. And so he made it for his dad, and then he Chicago-fied it with American cheese and, and, and mayonnaise and tomatoes. He served it and he smeared it with some garlic on top and he served it. And and overnight his restaurant that was like a total loser went to (laughs) like lines out down the block. And then he never patented. Now you've got like dozens of places across the country that now serve it.
1: There's this place in Pilsen that does them and they put aioli on the outside of the deep fried plantain. And to me, it's just too greasy. Like my fingers get covered in garlic aioli, which I don't like. If If it was inside, I'd be all right with it. But... Um, yeah, that guy's place is what over in Humboldt Park, right, or Logan Square or something. Well,
0: like that. he he ended up going bankrupt. He forgot to pay his taxes. Oh. So wow. um, <laughs> the last time I talked to him, he was working for his nephew. Um, another
1: very chicago story. But He's a genius. He bro- should be like they should all be paying him royalties know, everybody right? who's making a Heberito. His
0: brother still has a restaurant. It's called Borinkin. Now it's by Lane Tech. Anyway, but it's it's a terrific sandwich and um you got to eat it right there because like a lot of deep fried starches like yeah. french fries they're you know they're not yeah. going to be great. Ten minutes later, it's no good. It's I've no good tried four minutes to later, Make yeah.
1: those plantano or plantain. Uh, I've tried to make the that, Tostanes. and I have a deep fryer. Yeah, and I, I just could never get it right. Um,
0: I mean, maybe maybe it Do you have a smasher? So do you have a thing to smash uh, them? Afterwards? I was
1: smashing it with. Like, like I want to say like bag I used a brick. wine bottle or mm-hmm. something like that.
0: Anyway, we're really talking about movies here, aren't we?
1: Yeah, 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 and hey, I'm I'm nervous about right Colin's dinner too. So maybe yeah. we ought to hear. Maybe we ought to hear your recommendation. <coughs> Actually, before we hear your recommendation, I mean, how did we do? You've seen all these movies. I have not seen Tampopo. I have not seen Eat, Drink, Man, Woman. I have not seen Mostly Martha. Do we have a good selection? In your opinion, do we? Yeah, have Yeah, these selection would be these people? would be the
0: same ones that I would choose. The uh, the one wow. that my only other one is an obscure Korean film from 1995 that um, I, I was trying to think, did I misremember it? It was playing at Facets in Chicago, which is <laughs> sort of like the art house place, and I, I went there one Saturday afternoon to review it. Um, I was blown away by it. And, and, and by today's standards, you're going to look back on it and say, oh, God, that looks like kind of low budge. But that's, you know, when Korea was really starting to come into its own in terms of sort of international right. film. And it's this film about um, a, a cook who lives in 301, and a writer who lives across the hall in 302. The writer is anorexic and has real food phobias because of some traumatic things that happen in her life. And the cook, across the way, she has just gotten divorced um, because, like, every day her husband would come home and she's like, I made this incredible meal, and he just did not appreciate her. And she started... um, eating and, and putting on weight and and um, and feeling bad about herself and and she wanted to heal this woman by cooking all of these incredible meals and then they got it became the psychological thriller of you know um, okay the 302 she ends up going missing so you would say so people mm. are like saying oh did did you kill her and it, and it goes back in time it, they jump in terms of um, uh, mm. in terms of time they jump all over the place but there are really incredible cooking scenes it looks into body image and how people feel how their past affects their desire for cooking and nurturing others and then other people's sort of revulsion with food and their associations with food um one of the the girls she grew up in and um her father was a butcher and she had to watch all this you know stuff go on and 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 the money and let's say some bad things happened to her anyway it's this really incredible um psychological uh, exploration using food um and cooking and what's I, it
1: called what's this called title?
0: 301 302 and 301. I, I found you can actually watch it on youtube which i did um while doing yoga the other morning just to make sure i was remembering it properly
1: excellent you know, excellent
2: a psychological thriller while yeah. doing yoga yes, just what you want yes, uh, yes. Monica
1: and i are going to get along there you go <laughs> like this um, one of the things that brings up, and, and and Monica, if you need to go, we can wrap up really quickly. So I, I, have, I have a couple That's other another questions 15 on minutes. my mind. But, okay, sounds great. Um, so one of the things that brings up is some of these films are restaurant films, right? And you you both talk about loving seeing the cooking happen. And I, I agree with that, too. Yeah. Um, some of them are kind of more like vernacular cooking. The cooking is happening in a family context or in someone's apartment, but often in a particular cultural tradition or something like that. Um, and, and so in this one, 301-302...
0: She's cooking at home. So so you have all these flashback scenes of when she would cook for her husband, you know, like homemade right. kimchi, and she would go to the right. market and get, and get octopus, or she'd get mudfish, and you'd watch them, like, squirm as she's cooking them. Um, And he kept saying, why don't you get, you know, convenience food? And she said, no, I want to make everything from scratch for you. And so, I mean, I just loved these scenes of watching all the different steps of making all these dishes.
1: Well, and do you have a preference? Would you rather watch a film, since that's the thing you said that you really, really like is the detail about the food preparation, would you rather see a film that really captures a kind of like food tradition in the family or in the home really well? Or would you rather see kind of like the back of a... Of an ambitious restaurant.
0: Um, well, you know, I uh, the, like Trick, Man Woman. Those are all in in restaurants. Well, no, it's a half half restaurant meals and half just, home meals. Because remember, he makes right. all those nice things for his granddaughter. Um, so I enjoy both as long as it's 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 detailed <laughs> cooking stuff. It's like that's like that's my porn. Um, I just want some onions being chopped. I want to see you know things sizzle in in oil i want to I, mean, I loved um i loved the timpano scene in uh, big night as they're building mm. the different layers of yeah. those things I it's mean, amazing
1: yeah. that yeah. that scene is incredible really as really they're great. trying to get it right of the ones i've seen on this list that's that one is probably my favorite uh too but the
0: final um, scene in that film was also so simple but also wonderful it was the one take of him just making i think scrambled eggs and fresh yeah. bread in yeah. o- you know cooked in olive oil they're
1: all hung over in yeah. the kitchen the next day yeah. and and they're kind of angry at each other and it's sort of it's sort of the meal of forgiveness right yeah. it's the sort of we're still brothers, and you know Stanley Tucci makes it makes it look like he knows his way yeah. around a kitchen too. Like I, I, I don't know if he was ever you know if he ever worked in one or not, but he he's got to me. It seems like he's got the moves.
0: Yeah, I was just in a williams Sonoma, and um, and as I was walking in, it's like Stanley Tucci cookware. So he's at least uh, good enough to sell cookware.
1: He wrote that film, right, and co-directed it. I so he clearly so, yeah. has some knowledge, and that he's drawing. How problem. about you I guys? Mean, you
0: know, what like, do you, what do you um, do, are you do you prefer restaurant scenes or home scenes? And uh, before I say that one more is uh, Como Agua para Chocolate. I think yeah. is one of the best cooking movies. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's a really good one. Yeah, I saw it in high school, but I remember I remember like the three sisters like chopping stuff up yeah. in the back together and then boiling. Yeah, what's your answer to that, Chris? Well, I,
2: I think I might I might turn that question back around because it kind of hits at the question I had for you about like um like what do you get from the framing device of like food films? Like when what do you think a director or writer gets when they decide that they're going to set their film or their piece of work inside this frame of a kitchen or meals or feeding somebody else or like all that stuff. Like what do you think that that framing device gives us that is different from the other framing devices that we see all the time in film and in books? I have kind of a follow on question to this that you can see in the rundown, but that's kind of my, my, I kind of want to take your question to me and turn it around and fire it back at you.
0: That's a really good question and I never even thought of it. I see it i guess as a vehicle for for a film and stories about people's wanting to please others, wanting to nurture others, mm. wanting to prove themselves on some sort of stage and um and working sometimes working through grief in in a kind of um You know, because there's so much uh, pressure and so much busyness in a kitchen. Uh, I've known Mm. a lot of chefs who are like, I can't deal with the outside world, so I'm going to go here because I don't have to deal with people. And it's so weird that journalists are like, hey, let me talk to you, chef. I bet you want to talk to me and tell a story. Like sometimes they're in there because they don't want to tell anybody fucking stories. They just want to cook. Right, yeah.
1: Well, I'm going to answer the question you asked, and maybe this brings us sort of towards the wrap-up, because it also previews the first film that we're going to watch, which is Babette's Feast. I didn't actually answer the question of what I like about it, and I, I totally agree with what both of you said, but I think the thing that Monica just put her finger on is the thing I really like in a food story which is that the films that that really get you excited about food's capacity to heal and to bring people together. And, you know, that's why that last one-take scene at the end of Big Night is is so great. Um, You know, they've had this kind of very difficult experience that's been the last seven-eighths of the movie. And I think that Babbitt's... Feast, which is our first film that my understanding is I've seen the previews. I've never actually watched the movie, but that's kind of what it's about. You know, and it is kind of like a Mansfield Park type plot where a woman is sort of exiled from her home and she's living with people she's not that close to. And my understanding is she cooks... And in so cooking, she's able to kind of break through some of the barriers that she has with the people around her. But that that the magic of that, that expansiveness that happens when you have a great meal with somebody or you have a great family meal and people are experiencing the pleasure of the food and they've had the fellowship of cooking it together in the family context. And maybe they've had some drink, too. And all of those things are kind of you know, mixing together to create this kind of ecstasy. It's there's also you know there's a moment like that at the end of Cannery Row, which isn't really driven by food, um, but where suddenly everyone's just kind of happy to be together and to be in each other's company. And I, I love it when a film captures that and it feels realistic. And I feel like. That's what Babette's Feast is known for. It happens in Sideways the night they go back to the house and not so much food, but wine. Drinking the wine has kind of put them into this like social high. And I think anytime a movie can kind of capture that experience, the power that food and drink and companionship has to kind of, you know, transcend the day-to-day problems and put us into this other state. I, I, I love it when that succeeds.
2: Um, Monica, have you seen the, the, the menu that came out last year?
0: I saw the first 15 minutes, and um, I don't like scary movies. And someone told me that, it, it, that there's a scary surprise, so I couldn't finish it.
2: Got it. My, my question that I was going to ask you was if you felt that that was a foodie film or not um and i've got my own ideas but i was like oh this is a perfect chance to ask if she thinks that it's a foodie Um, film or doing something
0: i felt like it was trying to send up foodie films
2: yeah yeah it it feels more like it it felt more like satire to me Mm. than a movie actually about food um and i I felt a little cheated yeah (laughs) (laughs) you know like sometimes you go to satire and you're like oh, there's a little too much allegory and not enough, like, substance. And that that's what it really felt like for me.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, it'll be interesting to watch the cook, the thief, his wife, and her lover again. I'm, I'll be curious if you have that reaction, too. Because that is set in a restaurant and in a kitchen, but that is really the setting. The preparation of the food is almost incidental, you know, even though it's really, really beautiful. I watched the preview to the menu, and... I have the sense that, yeah, it's, om- it's like this psychological thriller. Perhaps someone's going to get murdered or something like that. And it's all happening in the context of a chef preparing, you know, an incredible meal for some lucky people, you know, and in a secluded island. And um, I think that would probably meet my definition, but I haven't seen it. Um, because to me, it's not so, it's not necessarily, it doesn't, Big Night is a movie about two brothers who want to create beautiful, food and wonderful food in according to their particular cultural tradition and things go awry but i don't need it i don't need the movie to be about the food for the food to work the way that i Mm -hmm. enjoy it you know and in the cook the thief his wife and her lover a lot of it's just the it's just the feeling of being in the space you know and 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 of course there's a lot of the 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 director was an oil painter and a lot of the shots look like a you know they look like a caravaggio or something like that you know just yeah, incredible.
0: I haven't seen that in so long. I'd have to remember that. I think I saw it at the Toronto Film Festival when it came out.
1: It's, it's yeah. gruesome. and um, yeah, um, I mean, there is a very important moment in which cooking happens uh, that I, I don't want to spoil, but uh, yeah. I do remember that one pretty well. Uh, Monica, is there anything else you want to, given that you know all these movies we don't, anything else you want to say to us or prepare us for or suggest to us before we wrap um,
0: up? Well, I would say um, a lot of these movies are going to make you hungry. Like you know, have a good ramen place in mind uh, for mm. after you watch *Tam Popo*. Um, maybe think about going to a Taiwanese or just Chinese restaurant after um, *Eat Drink Man Woman*. Get some pasta ready for a big night. Have anything but uh, what was it? Anything but Merlot. Merlot. Uh, ready for sideways.
2: We're, we're not drinking fucking Merlot. Oh <laughs> um,
0: have you guys watched Billions? By the way,
2: no. Well, so I have Paul, not. Paul Giamatti's really
0: in to. Billions, and um, same, you know, he was in Sideways. And uh, someone, some, some producer is really into food because they have all these cameos from great chefs. Um, but suddenly, someone is like in the scene who is a terrible actor, and you're like, oh, that's uh, you know, like uh, Paul Bocuse, or that's like. Uh, why like uh, Wiley Dufresne or that's that's uh David Chung and and they have a lot of like uh gratuitous food references <laughs> anyway <laughs> i would I would just make sure you have good food um available for after you watch these. I
2: love that idea yeah.
0: and and you know themed meals and then think about you know it's, it's a great question, Chris um think about why they would want to use food to to express what they want to say here because um, I'm going to think about that one by one. Like, yeah, why why food here?
2: Hmm. Yeah, you need to pick something for your story to go in.
0: Yeah.
2: And most of the time, that choice we make somewhat sub or unconsciously as, as writers and creators, but we don't have to. Yeah. Like, you can pick the vehicle that works. And I think that food is such an interesting one, and, and it allows us to tell so many different kinds of stories. We can
0: all relate. It's to why it.
2: I felt cheated by the menu. It's it's I don't, yeah. I don't I think by leaving fifteen minutes in I think you you didn't you didn't miss much that you couldn't pick up yeah. from a particularly angry yeah. um, uh, tirade about any industry.
0: It was kind of like the falling down of of the food industry. <laughs> um, one thing I was going to say is there was this movie called Spanglish, not a very good movie. It was Adam Sandler mm. as a chef, mm. um, but if you get the DVD version, I don't even think there's anything called a DVD anymore. Um but it had uh, it had an extra where Thomas Keller of the French laundry was teaching um, was teaching Adam Sandler about the perfect breakfast sandwich or the, the world's best sandwich. And my kids and I watched it. and it was basically you make um, you make bacon and the perfect fried egg and great bread and then avocado. I think and but you also you rub the bread with garlic kind of like you would do like um like the the, the pan tostada con tomate in in spain um and so my kids were always like saying mom you got to make the perfect bre- you got to make the perfect sandwich for me for <laughs> breakfast and they would go and sleep over at people's houses and then say to the mom oh no no you didn't rub it with garlic <laughs> and the parents would be like what <laughs> is up with your kids
2: <laughs> You're like, it's that, not my fault. Yeah, it, it's Thomas, Thomas Keller. Keller's fault. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sure we
1: can find it on YouTube. Yeah. I'm definitely going to go watch it. Yeah, Monica, what part of China did your Chinese family come from?
0: Uh, the south. Um, most most people whose family came 100 years ago came from the Guangdong region. Uh, mostly Toisan, but our, so Guangdong is like the big sort of state, and our county was Sun Wei, but most people came from the county over called Toisan.
1: All right, so you you have Chinese family background, Puerto Rican and Chilean, right? A Peruvian, so Peruvian, sorry,
0: Peruvian grandpa, Puerto Rican grandma who who raised us, you know, helped raise us, and then the Chinese side.
1: And are there films or TV shows or books that get at those particular food cultures of like those three places, particularly that part of China?
0: Uh. Well, I mean, it, that's, you know, if it's, if you're talking about like Chinese restaurants in the United States, I'm trying to think. I'm writing a young adult novel that actually gets at that, but I don't know if there are any others that kind of look at, you know, growing up in a Chinese restaurant. Um, I think someone's going to have to do that film based on Monica's oh. book called The Happy, Happy Dumpling House. Um but, but we, yeah. And you
1: mentioned eat, drink, man, woman, but that's yeah, Taiwanese. but
0: that's like a Taiwanese catering yeah. cooking. He's a Taiwanese like um, yeah. chef at a hotel. But I mean, you know, A lot of the Taiwanese came from China, and a lot of them actually came from Southern China. But probably like Hong Kong films. Like Hong Kong films always have lots of food in them, and Hong Kong food is largely the same Pearl River River Delta food of, of my family.
1: I'm trying to think of a Hong Kong film that has food. I'm sure I can think of something if I Well, it's I, like they're like uh, doing
0: karate and then they stop and eat some soup, you right. know.
1: Like the so, John John Woo's gangsters right. like stop there and eat some uh salt and pepper fish fillet or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Uh with the with the uh, jalapeno peppers or something, yeah. Um, what was
0: like kung fu like kung fu warrior I can't remember those, but they they were like a whole series them. kung fu soccer. Um I think they had a lot of food in that too.
1: Kung Fu Soccer?
0: Is I'm, I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna Google it now. Shaolin Shaolin Soccer?
1: Shaolin Soccer? That, sound, that sounds amazing. Yeah, it sounds pretty good. Shaolin
0: Soccer. I believe they have, and they have like a whole thing about soup with fish balls in it. Uh, that's another food film. Yeah.
1: Um, we're gonna do our credits, and then we'll we'll get you, we'll make sure we get the name of your uh, book. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Upper Middlebrow is a small point production. Chris Bag and Jesse Dukes are the porters, busboys, barbacks, and stars of the dish pit with our wrinkled fingers. Music by Ben Pajak and Jesse Dukes. Design and website by Chris Bagg. Thanks to Monica Eng and Louisa, who wasn't here, but also to Louisa Chew, the other part of their podcast, Chewing, which you can learn more about at chewing.xyz.
0: That's totally right.
1: You can learn more about us, our podcast at uppermiddlebrow.com com we'd love for you to help us out we have a listener survey up on our website fill it out and if you want we'll enter you in a drawing to win a storied bluetooth speaker perfect for listening to the chewing podcast or the upper middle brow podcast Uh, go to uppermiddlebrow.com for the link to the survey uh, and as a reminder
2: everybody jesse and i are both writers and editors we can help you with your writing podcasting and editing projects you can see some of our portfolios and learn more at our respective websites chrisbag.com and jessiedukes.com. check it out and get in touch monica before we go could you tell us about the book that you are touring and that you are going to be releasing <sighs>
0: Oh, it's just a little book called "Made in Chicago: Stories Behind Thirty Great Hometown Bites" by Monica Eng and Dave Hammond, University of Illinois Press. In its third printing already, it just came out in February. Um, Congrats! But uh, yeah, it's it's really fun. It, you can read it on the toilet, uh, you know, one one dish per sitting, or you food can food in, food out. There you go. You can <laughs> throw it in your glove compartment, and then anywhere you are in Chicago, you say, "Hey, wait a minute, what's a good thing to eat?" and I tell you,
1: I I've like there've been many times and I feel bad about this. I feel like I'm exploiting our friendship, but there have been times where I'm like in Chinatown and I'll just be like, where's the best place for, you know, dumplings? Yeah, everyone does that Or where's the best like hotpot? I, I and constantly get usually, that text. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry to pile <laughs> on, but, but you're, you always oblige and it's always a good recommendation. Yeah. Uh, Monica, it's great to see you. Thank you so much for joining our podcast.
0: Same. Great to see you guys.
1: Nice to meet you. It was real. It was a real pleasure.
0: Yeah. Next time you're in Chicago, we'll all go out to eat.
1: I'd love that. That would be so much fun. All right. I have my favorite ramen place. Have you ever done high five ramen in the West Loop?
0: Yes, but there's often a long line.
1: There is. What you need to do is have your rock climbing gym five minutes away and you put yourself on the line. Then you go rock Ooh. climb at the gym for an hour and a half. Then you go get a drink at the barbecue place upstairs and yeah, finally Street two meets. and a half hours later. Yeah. yeah uh, and then, you know, play some pinball up at Green Street Meats. And then finally two and a half hour la- hours later, yeah. you get into the basement that yeah. seats 14 people. Excellent plan. Delicious ramen. Yeah. yeah.
0: I, I would you know, often go to a place with, without a line and just eat my ramen there. <laughs> but high five is good.
1: Well, yeah, there's another one in Bridgeport that I like, Shinya, and then I know there's some stuff up north, too. But yeah, next time in in person. Hey, everybody. One more thing. You may have caught this, but if not, the next episode will be the Axel Gabriel film Babette's Feast. It's available to stream and it's pretty easy to find online, or you might be able to find it in your local library. After that, the next film is The Cook, The Thief, His Wife, and Her Lover, directed by Peter Greenaway. And that one is hard to find. I don't think it's streaming in North America, uh, but there are some DVDs on the used markets like eBay and places like that. Or your local library might have it, or you might be able to get an interlibrary loan, which uh, one of our listeners uh, found out that he was able to do. Um, or maybe you live somewhere that still has a decent video store. If so, lucky you. Um, it, was a, it was a pretty well-known movie in the 1990s, so any video store that has foreign films is likely to have it. Um, it's in English, but it's a, I believe it's an English production. Um, if you absolutely can't find it, go ahead and send an email to hello at uppermiddlebrow.com and we might be able to help. Uh, The other thing about The Cook, The Thief, His Wife and Her Lover is that it has very explicit and disturbing violence, including domestic violence, spousal abuse, and it also has very explicit sex and nudity. I would probably not watch it with a kid, And you might consider whether it's something you are okay viewing. Um, We totally get it if you need to skip that one or any of the things that we consider and talk about on our show. But if you can handle the sex and violence, I think it's worth watching. It's pretty incredible. So thank you so much for listening, and we will see you soon.